Hi, I'm Dubber. I'm the director of Music Tech Fest, and this is the MTF Podcast. Right now, in Austin, Texas, Shalene Jadar is on sabbatical. She was, until fairly recently, the employee of Cupertino-based trillion-dollar tech giant Apple, and for a long time was pretty much at its core. Many of the people who made that company what it is today are people that she put there. If, for instance, you're on the industrial design team and your name is not Jonathan Ive, then chances are pretty good that Shalene's the person who found you, interviewed you, and gave you that gig. Officially, the title was something along the lines of Head of Talent Development, which makes it sound somewhat corporate, managerial, and a little administrative, when really it's more interesting than that. It involves intuition, chemistry, personal connection, and putting the right ingredients together. Alchemy, perhaps. Shalene, thanks so much for doing this. Happy to be here. So you were an alchemist at Apple. What does that mean? Well, it was my official title, but I um, was explaining to, and I've done this so many times in my life, explaining to people what I do, which in essence, if you boil it down, it's connecting people of like mind. And with the hope that when you bring them together, something kind of more beautiful or more interesting comes out of the combination of two entities. And I was explaining this to a friend of mine who's an artist. She's a glassblower. And she says, oh, well, you're an alchemist. And it just stuck. And so this is years ago. I put that on my business cards. Um, I don't even use business cards anymore, but in the early days we did. And what's so interesting about it is that um, and I kind of did it as a lark and I would give it to people and try to explain what I did. And then as soon as I gave them the car, they go, oh, OK, now I get it. Right, right. When was this? When are we talking at the early days, you said? The early days. Yes. Um, 2001. Right. Yes. So tell me what, what's going on at Apple in 2001. Um, this is early, early um, MacBook times. This is the very beginning of uh, starting retail stores. The idea of um, retail stores is coming about and um, how, to, how to define and express that experience. And I remember that was actually how I came aboard. I ended up doing a contract helping them find people in to, uh, to kind of manage the, these retail environments. And uh, it was a contract job. I, I was living in L.A. at the time. I didn't think anything more was going to come of it. And, um, but that was, that was the very, very, that was my very beginning of that. And then my boss at the time asked me to fly up to San Francisco and meet the design group. And uh, I sat down with Jonathan Ives, some of the other designers, um, some other people in talent, and I heard them talking about what they were doing, uh, what they were designing, what their plans were. And I just had this feeling of, I don't know what it is that I can offer. I don't know uh, if everything in my background is going to help, but I will use whatever it is that I have in order to help them do whatever it is that they need to do. And it was a physical, visceral reaction. I haven't had many of those in my life. So I know when they happen. And it was a very strong, like, I need to work with these people. I don't know what that looks like yet, but I will learn whatever it is I need to learn to do that. What was in your background? That's a good question. Uh, A lot of different things. At the time that I was recruited to Apple by my old mentor, 
or he's an he's a current and old mentor, but old boss. Um, I was had just finished a yoga teacher's training, and I was producing independent theater with the evidence room, neither of which were paying, and but were full passions of mine, and figuring out what I was going to do next. And I needed a paying job, so I went to my boss my old boss, he wasn't my boss at the time, and I said, hey, I need a recruiting job. Will you give me a reference for this kind of side recruiting job in L.A., and that's just something to do to make money to support these other passions of mine? And he said, what? If you're going to do recruiting, come and work for me at Apple. And that's kind of when that whole thing came up of, Apple, I don't know anything about computers. I, you know, and, and he's like, Jadar, you know people. And that was it. So... Was it computers though you were doing? I mean, is it no? So, so <laughs> that's what's so funny. But that was what I thought right. in my head. I'm thinking Apple. I didn't. Ha- I wasn't one of those people that was an Apple fanatic. I uh-huh. I didn't come from a background of traditional design. So in my head, it was a computer company. I don't know anything about that. That seems really technical. Um, of course, it wasn't at all that way. So, what sort of people were you recruiting? Uh, when I started, or in my general, like the whole time in your career at Apple, what uh, was sort of the, the main kinds of people? Because it sounds like it was more creative than technical. Yes, definitely. Um, but I, you know, I kind of think that a good, uh, you know, solid recruiter can recruit almost anything. You just immerse yourself in the environment, and you can find almost anything. Um, but um, but I was was brought in, and that was that that trip to San Francisco um, to work with the industrial design group. So that was the first uh, kind of official group that I worked with as a full time employee with Apple, and that dominated most of my time. And so I was looking specifically at that time for industrial designers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how it started. And as I as at working as kind of a lone ranger with them um, for. I'm trying to think. I don't even know if it was a year. Um, people would kind of reach out saying, "Oh, she does creative. She does. She works with designers. Uh, can we have her over here? Um, we're redoing the graphic design group. Can she come and work with us for a little bit?" Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to work with graphic design, helped them. They were a splinter group of different external and internal teams and some people wanted to leave and they didn't have a clear leader they were looking to to uh, find another kind of more creative leader and that I was brought in to help them um, find that role and then I started working with that group and then I was kind of dividing my team my time between industrial design and graphic design and and there were more things like that iTunes came out of I started working with iTunes Europe, that was like really almost a startup. It felt like a startup, as the graphic design in some way felt like a startup as well, because they were recreating it. So there was, when I think back at my, of my career, other than the industrial design group, some of this work really feels like you're starting a startup within a very established company, but it still has that essence of building something from something very small or nothing. Is it more about uh, finding and employing the right individuals, is it, or is it more about uh, building teams? I would say both. So um, you definitely have to find the right individuals in order to build a solid creative team. So with the industrial design group, they had a very solid team from the moment that I arrived. So I wasn't trying to create, again, they, they were not a startup. I was not 
creating the entire team. Um, but finding individuals for them um, was, in essence, in a way, continuing to build that team. So each individual was so important. I would say that about all of the groups that I worked with at Apple, that each individual coming into the team needed to meet everybody in the team and, and everybody feel comfortable about that person. So generally a consensus. Uh, and, and that really, to me, is one of the, the I don't know, most important things about building a team is that there's that consensus when you bring somebody new in. Right. Would you have employed you? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I think in the beginning, hmm, as a, inside the design group or in the role that In the I, role, in the role. Would you have given you that a job? really good question. Um, I think knowing myself and the way that I look at people and the way I, um, I kind of make assessments about people, it's less about uh, what is this extensive background, um, purist background in one area, uh, although that can be very important in some roles, and more about the whole picture. And, um, yeah, I think I would hire me for that role. <laughs> I might have, yeah, I might have done. That's an interesting thing. Yeah, it's, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm not completely 100% sure, um, but um, I, intuitively I kind of feel like I would. Cool. What did your parents do and how did that shape where you ended up? Ah, okay, so my mother was a kindergarten teacher for almost 30 years. Um, so um, my mom, I think for as long as I can remember, um, that just having teaching be a huge part of the household in general. My dad also was a teacher. That was not his primary role, but but he he was a teacher in his life, but he was also officially a teacher, and he taught at UCLA for a while. But um, I think both of them being teachers um, informed the way that I approach uh, looking for talent, the way I think of you know, learning uh, in your work environment, um, just being very motivated, I think, in general, um, by learning, I think. In, I, yeah, I'm trying to think of, I, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a really interesting question, but I think of just the general sense of having um, educators um, around me growing up. I think that was huge. My father, on the other, was also an author, a philosopher, um, and had a huge impact on me, um, just in a sense of how I view the universe, how I view my relationship to the universe, my place in it. It's an ongoing practice, um, an ongoing learning in that. Um, so I think being interested in people, um, being um, open, um, that's part of my practice is just kind of like constantly um, practicing being open. And you just you end up finding out and learning a lot about people when you approach things in that way. I would say those two things, kind of the philosophical side of my dad and then the education side of both of my parents. And they're both very liberal. So there was a lot of freedom and encouragement to to follow what I was interested in. I suspect that might be part of the answer to my next question, but yes. where did the theater stuff come in? Oh, my goodness. Um, 
Well, not for my parents specifically. Uh, you know, that's one of those things that my mother, strangely enough, did, did um, she was in theater um, in maybe high school or something, but it wasn't her experiences in theater that impacted me. I've just always been very interested in, um, in theater and, um, and acting. I did, I was in theater when I was in high school and I thought I was going to go in that direction and I know somehow it went in a different direction. And so at a later age, I, I wanted to get back into it and I, I saw a play. It was, uh, the Berlin circle, um, by the evidence room. And it's so, it moved me in such an incredible way, very similar to how I experienced that uh, Apple experience um, sitting there with Jonathan Ive. I also had a, a, a different but also visceral experience with the evidence room when seeing that play, the evidence room, or the Berlin Circle, um, was just so incredibly moved and thought, I have not been in theater all of these years. What they are doing is amazing what can I do from my background? What do I have that could be helpful here? And that was a, that was a group of, uh, of, it was a theater, the group of people that everybody did everything. So the actors might sweep up and there was a bar there after the play. So somebody was a bartender and then they were on stage or they were building things and they were somebody in, you know, playing a role. So it was a wonderful theater group. It wasn't for extremely long period of time, but the short amount of time that I was with them made a huge impact. And um, so, yes, so the theater really came from, I don't know where, watching old movies with my mom when I was a child, maybe. Sure. Yes. Uh, Tell me about the beginnings of iTunes, what the the culture was like, what people were trying to achieve, and, and, you know, sort of what were the personalities that you were dealing with? So I can tell you about my own personal experience with iTunes, and maybe through that lens might um, give you some kind of insight, because I wasn't necessarily in the in the kind of inner circle of people that were kind of deciding and um, uh, the very impetus of iTunes. But I was brought in to help build out iTunes Europe. So iTunes US was already fully formed. And so I was asked to kind of go over and because I was going over to London a lot for um, designers and meet with designers, meet with design studios. And so I was over there. They thought, oh, this would be a really good thing to kind of um, add on to what she's already doing. So one thing that I thought I think is very interesting is is one directive that that I was given or parameter, I would say is um, we were looking for, in each country, we were looking for a programmer and a labor relations person. And it was, the, the type of person was so interesting to me. They said, uh, you know, everything's moving in this digital way, but we're very interested in people that have an appreciation and an understanding of everything that's come before, but also an openness to what is coming next in digital and everything moving forward. Um, and it was really interesting because that was a very clear parameter and not a lot of people fell into that. There were very extremes. There were people that were, oh, scrap everything that's come before, scrap a history of, of labels and all of that. It's all about digital. And then the opposite was true. Uh, we don't want to be digital. That's flash in the pan. That's not going to last. And uh, where did you go? That's scary. They didn't say that, but I think that it was very scary. So it was wonderful finding these people that were um, 
this wonderful combination of an appreciation, even if they, as you, you'd find people that are very young, actually, that had an immense respect for labels and history of labels, but also were, you know, they had grown up in digital and understood that. And then you have somebody older that had grown up in labels and they were very, very um, experienced in whether it's label relations or programming. And they just really were very open to digital. And I really, I think we've talked about this before, um, that it's that wonderful kind of openness um, between those two worlds. And I think it requires a certain level of confidence in yourself that you can adapt to, you can carry with you what is important historically in music and also be open to the future. And I, I don't know if that gives you a background for iTunes in general at Apple, but that was that was something that really informed my experience of looking for people in each country and how we found the right people. Presumably they have to know a little bit about music as well. A little bit about music, yes. Yeah. And what was interesting about that too is uh, uh, I don't know that they ever gave me this directive, but I think it kind of, I felt like it was, it was one of those times where you get a few bits of information and then you can fill it in. So for me, I kind of felt like it was important that they, if they were in programming, that even if they didn't know a lot about all the different genres, that they at least had respect for different genres. So if they were really into hip hop and jazz, that they at least acknowledged that there's quite a wide world of classical music out there or reggae or, you know, any other genre. So it, that's kind of, to me, it was a partner in uh, the other directive of kind of how we, how we looked for people. How important was music to Apple at that time? Well, I think it's always really been um, important to Apple. I don't think it was, um, oh, yeah, this is an added thing. And, and I don't want to speak for Apple in general or Steve, but I know that um, from what I understand about him personally, he was always very into music way before iTunes. I mean, I don't even, I'm, I don't know his entire history around music, but um, the the impetus for, for iTunes came years before um, it was possible to do iTunes. But it, we had music. We had things around music before iTunes. We had people working in music and, and having and creating musical experience that were connected to Apple. Uh, so, and, you know, I, yeah, I wouldn't want to speak anything more about that because I don't feel like I'm an authority in that area. But I know that music as a whole was a big thing even before iTunes. So it just kind of took off with iTunes, but it was there. It was there all along, kind of waiting to kind of be born and come into fruition. Sure. Was it big for you as well? I think music has always uh, been big for me. I'm very affected by music, very affected by you know, certain music for certain times. And um, we were talking about this this evening, how certain music is going to stimulate you to work in a certain way. Certain music is going to stimulate you um, when you're relaxing or meditating, if you use music while you're meditating or driving. And um, and I've always, you know, I've not, I've not been the person that um, collects ext extensively or has you know, a huge record collection or now even a huge amount of playlists, but I've always been so interested in, you know, what new music is coming over and, and also an appreciation for 
for all kinds of genres, but I don't even know if there is a genre that I absolutely don't like. I'm trying to think of one right now. It might come to me by the end of our conversation, but um, even country and Western, as we talked about, I love Western, but I like the old kind of country music, you Uh know, Patsy Cline, Johnny Cash, Hank Williams. Um, So I'm not one of those people who say, oh, I can't stand country and Western, because I find a place for that as well. But Yeah, I mean, this sounds so trite. I can't imagine a life without music. But I feel like music is always around me. It's not been my specific line of of work. But um, I was very excited to be part of uh, building the iTunes Europe and being immersed in um, in music for that period of time. It was wonderful, and I was exposed to so much, and I continue to be. But it but my love for music started before that and before Apple too. Did you make any really bad calls on the recruitment front? Oh, my goodness, yes. Um, you know, the bad calls that I made um, were when I went against my intuitive sense of what I should do in the circumstance. And, uh, and I find that to be the case almost every time. But I can, I'm not going to tell you the specifics of each of those situations, but there were two very clear situations when um, I really didn't feel comfortable moving forward Um, earlier in my career there, and I felt pressured to to go along with what everybody really wanted. And uh, and I just felt there's something, it just didn't didn't fit, didn't know what it was, couldn't describe it, but it didn't feel right. Uh, and sure enough, it was it came out to be true. And there were a couple of situations like that. Um, but I also feel like those are opportunities to learn. So there, I didn't feel, oh, that was a huge mistake, and oh, this is tragic, and I'm never going to come back from this. And you know, it was actually more, hey, the, the, this is the person that we presented. You had all the information. Um, we all had all of the information, and what I learned is, yes, when I have those feelings, they need to be investigated. And whenever I have that situation, honestly, it's usually a case of not listening to that inner voice. Right. That inner voice is usually telling you something. Sure. Uh, how did Apple change over the time you were there? got bigger. (laughs) That is probably the biggest change. I mean, this is the most obvious change that it got bigger. And, um, how did that impact the culture? Hmm. I think that it, the way it impacted the culture is true for any company that as you expand and you expand into different environments, geographically and different environments, culturally, it's almost like you have the mothership, and then as you get farther and farther away, it's harder and harder to maintain that sense of community, that strong culture, a strong connection between each other. And um, I think that's something that um, we took very seriously from the very beginning and tried very hard to maintain that. Um, but I do think that it was always surprising to me when I would travel and sit down with somebody and describe, oh, this is kind of how we do things, how different it might be translated in a different country. Uh, and that was a real learning experience. It also 
um, help me realize how important it is to have those kind of ongoing interactions between physical interactions too, not just chats on the phone, but physically being with your cohorts in London or Tokyo and sharing with them, you know, what you're doing in real time, in person. And it's not always possible, but so much was translated in being with somebody and sharing the culture in that way. And when I say sharing the culture, it could be as simple as, you know, being there with the other person and sharing your own experience and your own experience at Apple, my own experience at Apple, their own experience at Apple and us exchanging that. And I felt like that, that, that was a part of my role in a way um, because I traveled so extensively um, for the design group that part of that, you know, a big part of what I was doing is representing them, representing Apple. So I took that very seriously and I, I really tried to extend out, you know, kind of what it was. I was very passionate about what we did sure. and what, what the design group did, what Apple's doing, um, how it is um, in Cupertino, how it is in the studio, um, what my experience is, is that's what I can, that's what's true, that's what I can speak to. And um, it, from what I saw, it had, it had a powerful effect on people. Um, being able to hear what it's like. And I think that kind of trend translation or transference in a way um that's one way to build out your culture i mean it's one way there are many different ways sure but as but it's essential right man and, and as you said as it got bigger that sort of uh, direct personal communication got harder and harder presumably of course yeah it's it's harder but it's it's not unique to apple it's just kind of the nature of of expansion sure yes. does that have anything yeah. to do with why you left no, mm -mm, no, that has nothing to do with why I left. No, you know, I didn't leave because of anything dramatic. Um, I, it, it's honestly the main reason that I left Apple is I have a daughter here in Austin, and I, she's five years old now, and I am living in Austin and working um, and traveling to Cupertino once a month, and she has no idea what I do. She can't see, she can't see where I work, she can't see what I do. And um, I've spent, let's see, almost 18 years um, at Apple um, utilizing all of the cells of my body in a way, all of my brain, my heart, all of it. And I feel like I wanted to do something different with that, with all of those aspects of myself. And I don't know what that is yet, but I felt like um, those two things kind of being, I wanted to be based here in Austin, doing something that is clear to her and, um, and also utilizing my mind, body and soul um, for something different and kind of, and yeah, just kind of investigating what does that look like? What, what, what else can I do with these things that are me? And so much of it has been dedicated to Apple, and it's been immensely exciting and and um, challenging, and uh, you know it's never boring. <laughs> certainly never boring. But I, yeah, it's it. There just came a time where I thought I just I really want to take this and see what I can do with this person that is me 
applying it to something else. Sure. If you were to, um, I don't know about write a book, but but certainly give some advice to somebody uh, from your career in Apple, what uh, what lessons would you extract and want to pass on? Well, one of them I think I already kind of mentioned that um, are there any things that you regret? And I think, you know, the things that you were, I don't know if it was regret or a bad call, is um, is really learning to trust your um, that inner voice, whether it's intuition, um, how, whatever you want to call it, that there's a reason it's there. It's it is trying to tell you something, and the more the you know the the more you listen to it, um, I wouldn't say the louder it gets, but the more you listen to it, the more clear it becomes, and the easier it is to listen to it. And you know, I don't want to say, oh, if only I had listened earlier. I listened to it as much as I could at whatever age I was. And I would just say to anybody, whether it's at Apple or anywhere, that the more you can um, open yourself up to listening to that voice, when it's telling you, mm, something's just not quite right here, um, and trusting it. It's not just listening, but it's trusting and going with it. Trusting it, making the response based on what that is. Um, that's so huge. I think also, uh, you know, as I look back at all of the different people that have come to interview or meet with the group or me, I think it's very hard to do, especially when you're daunted by a particular group or a person. But um, doing your best to just um, be relaxed and comfortable in and of yourself when you're coming to meet people. And I think that's very hard for an individual to do, but maybe... That was part of what I felt was my role, is to help people feel comfortable so we could see who they really are. And so if they're coming at it from that same point of trying to just let everything else go, that doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to be super casual now. It's a fine line, but kind of trusting your intuition and also kind of just being yourself, whatever meeting you're in. You get so much more out of it. I think we've had so many people come in and do very elaborate presentations and um, very content-heavy or too image-heavy, and we never really find out who they are. You want people. We want people, yeah. yeah. So if I'm giving advice to people, it's just kind of, it's again, sounds so trite, but just be yourself. Sure. Because yourself is either going to work with this role or not, and if you're confident enough to trust that you're a valuable entity, and if we, when I was with Apple, don't appreciate that, then this isn't the right place for you. Yep. And so there's nothing to lose, really, by being yourself. It's either it's going to work or it isn't, and the best thing to be is yourself, because if it doesn't work with you as yourself, then it's not the right role. Gotcha. So in a world where people are concerned about things like data privacy, uh, fairness to artists, uh, mm. planned obsolescence, these things, are Apple the goodies or the baddies? Mm. I'm the wrong person to ask about that. I think that depending on the conversation, depending on the situation, you could make a case that, um, yeah, that they they could be, I don't know if I would, using good and bad is, it does, doesn't ever really work with me at Apple because I kind of know them as people. And I know them, the people that I work with are not trying to make something obsolete. Um, so I think that I would say 
in general, I mean, you know, because you never know all the details and how people work. And there's certain people that I've never worked with. Obviously, it's a big company. But the people that I've worked with are good people. And I know that their hearts are in the right place. And that's all I can really speak to. As in the end, as an individual at a huge entity, um, the only people that I can really stand by would be the people that I've worked with directly. And those people I know are the goodies, <laughs> if you want to call them. They're not goody two-shoes, but they're the good ones. Right. I guess the best indicator would mm-hmm. be a year out from, from leaving Apple. Do you use mm-hmm. Apple products? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I still have boxes that the graphic design group has, you know, over time has has um, designed. I've always kept different boxes for different products. And I'll always keep that. I mean, it's they're a family. For me, they, they, they have been and will continue to be a family. So I can't imagine, I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll use something else in the future. But at this juncture, it isn't even something that's crossing my mind right now. Yeah. Shalene, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Andrew. That's Shalene Jadar, former alchemist at Apple. Incidentally, I asked Shalene for a bit of advice for people wanting jobs. Her top tip, your CV is too long. Take some words out. Take out whole sections that just seem superfluous. Then find more words that you don't need and take them out too. Keep taking words out until there are no more words that you can take out. Then take out a few more words. It's not your life story. It's the trailer that gets people wanting to see the movie. It seems like good advice. And that's the MTF podcast. If you got this far, then you clearly liked it. So please take a moment to give us a quick review, rating or star on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And we'll catch you soon. And by the way, if you missed our special announcement last week about Ourobro, go back and listen to last week's episode or sign up to the mailing list for more news on that. In the meantime, have a great week and we'll talk soon. Cheers. (laughs) 